Hello, friends, and welcome to the show. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Sin Vodka. Sin Vodka is a vet-owned company. At Sin, they always stay away from the ordinary and always strive for something new and exceptional. Their award-winning Sin Ultra Premium Vodka is formulated and distilled by master distillers who use the finest ingredients from around the world to create a vodka like no other. Keep a lookout for this premium Sin Vodka in stores and bars in Texas and Louisiana. I promise you, you won't regret it. Be sure to check them out at SinUltraVodka.com. Drink responsibly. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by More Active, high-performance activewear for men and women that doesn't sacrifice comfort or style. More Active offers traditional yet fashionable, flexible, and sexy workout apparel. I know my confidence is up when I'm wearing a brand that supports my needs in and out of the gym. Check out MoreActive.com and on Instagram at More underscore Active. That's More, M-O-O-R-E, Active, and be sure to use the Hustle discount code for 20% off. Live active, love always. And we are brought to you by Flippin' Coffee. Flippin' Coffee was started with the purpose of roasting and brewing real coffee with the highest quality of ingredients in mind. Each batch is roasted to perfection to bring a smoothness that you simply won't find in most coffee. Flippin' Coffee is vet-owned and operated. He left his corporate career to pursue his passion for the simple yet perfect cup of coffee. My mornings start with Flippin' Coffee, which sets me up for a full day of productivity and success. Check them out at FlippinCoffee.com. That's F-L-I-P-P-I-N, and order your coffee beans today. And don't forget to use the code, the hustle, all caps, for 10% off. Today's guest is a very special guest that has started multiple businesses and has been successful in her career. I love to welcome the powerful Amy Hall. Welcome to a brand new episode of The Hustle. We know the struggle to stay motivated. The creativity and thrive starts dying out. We can't let that happen. Yeah. Listen to exclusive interviews with people just like you and how they overcame the exact same obstacles. Learn, execute, repeat. Because no matter what, yeah. we grow together. This is The Hustle. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, welcome. Thank you for joining us. How's everything going? Everything's good. Yeah? It's good. Yeah. I appreciate from your busy schedule that you're able to join us. Of course. I'm honored to uh, be asked to do this and, um, you know, uh, get a chance to chat. So are you originally from the Dallas area or? No, I'm not. I've lived here since 2004. So Dallas is home now. Okay. So where was home previously? Uh, I bounced around quite a bit. Uh, I was born in Northwest Indiana and uh, that's where my mother primarily grew up. And we moved to Tennessee whenever I was seven years old. I lived in Tennessee until I graduated high school Went to college in South Carolina, and then with a couple opportunities out of college, I lived in South Florida, and then up to Virginia, and then came to Dallas. Oh wow! Okay, so out of college, what did you? What was your major? What did you begin doing? I was a fine art major. Okay. Um, so I graduated with a degree in fine art. Uh, thought I hit the jackpot. I got a job making uh, forty thousand dollars a year, which right out of college, I felt like was more money than I could ever spend in my life. And uh, it was uh, for an advertising agency and in their art department. And uh, then, you know, 9-11 happened and I got laid off. So that was sort of the first derailment of, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, life throwing stuff at you and having to adapt. So it's going back to a fine arts degree. It's it's pretty uncommon to usually... People find a hard time finding a career with that, just that degree. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's exactly the question that my parents asked. I was always artistic, involved in arts, um, 
And it was one of those things where you're a teenager and nobody can really tell you anything. And everybody said you should pursue art as a career. You right. should look into being an artist. Um, and I said, no, I think I'll be a marine biologist. <laughs> so. so that's what took me to South Carolina. I was a uh, marine science major for a year and a half. Had a vivid moment of sitting in a class and everybody around me really seemed to know what was going on. Mm -hmm. And I had that moment where I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> and I was kind of, you know, what are you doing here? Mm -hmm. Why are you here? What was your motivation for being here? And I left that class. I went to the art department. And that's really where I met my first mentor. Okay. It's been a mentor, you know, still with me. Um, and uh, I took my little box of slides because I'm that old that you had slides at that time mm -hmm. um, of your work. And he said, what are you doing as a marine science major? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he helped me and he helped me switch my major. I actually ended up graduating early and, um, you know, really helped me understand that there were other options out there because at the time I thought you could be an artist, but how do you live? How do you pay for yourself? Or, you know, do you become a teacher? And I knew right. very much that I did not want to become an educator. Um, and so that's sort of what led me down the marketing path originally. So going back to marine biology, what sparked <laughs> that? Because you went from two sides <laughs> of the spectrum of career choices. You know, I don't know what's, well, okay. I guess I do know what started it. Um, <laughs> there was a marine, there was a science club in my high school. And I guess the reason I joined the science club was there was a trip to Key West mm -hmm. And you got to spend a week in Key West if you were part of the science club. Right. And that seemed really cool to go to Key West, you know, whenever I'm 15, 16 years old. So I went to Key West and, you know, you're staying on a little island in Key Largo and you're on a boat and you're snorkeling every day and scuba diving and playing in the ocean. And I was like, oh, this is great. <laughs> and then I quickly learned what I, you know, pursued it as a degree and a career that that's not the reality of right. what you're doing yeah, no. every day. <laughs> yeah. I, I have a biology degree that I absolutely don't use at all, but <laughs> so. I wasn't smart enough to learn, you know, beforehand knowing, Hey, I don't need this. Yeah. So but you I, can relate to uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so after, so after you were laid off in nine 11, then what was your, your career path from there? Did you, obviously you, you, you stayed in marketing, uh, uh -huh. you know, jumping forward now, but right after that, what'd you do? Well, I didn't know what I was going to do because that really wasn't part of the plan. I'm a very, um, even though I am artistic, I'm a very um, type A personality. I'm, I'm a very driven person. And, you know, I sort of had this plan that my life would be very linear, right? Mm -hmm. And if you do all the right things and you make all the right choices and you make good grades and you graduate early and you get a job, then, you know, your life keeps propelling right. in that direction. And so that was really devastating to me because it was losing a job, not because of my performance, not because I didn't do a good job, not, it was, it was something completely out of my control. Yeah. And now, you know, that I'm 20 years past that experience, I think that that was really pivotal in me being able to adapt, you know, down the line. But at the time I had no idea what I was going to do. And, and I didn't even want to tell my parents. Yeah, and, it's, and I'm glad you brought that up because you know people people tend to forget you know um, not necessarily forget the, the the situation but what the situation caused for 9/11 and then we kind of had a repeat of it with COVID mm -hmm. and there's a lot of people that were laid off and it was out of their control and then they're like well, what do I do now 
And yeah. uh, so kudos to you for already having that plan <laughs> and knowing, okay, I gotta, I gotta do something. So yeah, but I was, I had a lot of shame and I had a lot of embarrassment, even though it wasn't anything that I had directly done. Right. But nobody had prepared me for that. Nobody right. had prepared me that, Hey, bad things happen to you that are out of your control. Mm-hmm. Um, like losing a job. So I didn't know, um, so I was applying for jobs. I was really honestly open to doing anything. Um, I think because of there's a, a little bit of pride, a little bit of shame involved when something like that happens to you. I didn't at that time want to move back home because I felt like that was admitting failure right. and defeat. Um, and I was only nine months out of college, you know. So luckily I had a friend that was doing some um, experiential work for RJ Reynolds, which I always think is funny because I'm not a smoker, never been a smoker, Mm -hmm. but it was a marketing opportunity for some regional marketing for RJ Reynolds on a camel campaign. Never forget it because they were launching the seven pleasures of the exotic. So it was really fun. And they would bring in these tents and camels and palm trees and have cigarette girls and throw these really elaborate parties that were really cool for a 22 year old girl to get to plan and be a part of. Um, and it was part-time work, right? Mm-hmm. She needed some help on her team and extended a hand. Uh, and what I learned is that, especially at that time, you know, experiential in marketing is something that's really taken off and really exploded. But at that time, it was really a small world. Um, and I actually got recruited to be a part of a team with um, Audi in North America on their 21-person experiential team. And I got an opportunity there that then became a full-time position to travel and um, to work on events and things that they sponsored and um, car shows and, you know, training for dealers. Mm -hmm. And that was really fun. Oh, wow. So in your career path, when, when did you realize I want to do my own thing? Um, Whenever I had moved to DC from Florida, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I do, my parents are entrepreneurial, they're risk takers. Um, you know, I always said that my dad is uh, the worst kind of entrepreneur because he's the really like high risk, high reward mm-hmm. entrepreneur. So there was a lot of instability in my childhood and my parents are divorced. So this is my biological dad, not my bonus dad. Um, so there's always been an element of risk taking right. in my personality. And um, I met my now ex-husband in DC whenever I was working for Audi. And, you know, he was this very dynamic, charismatic person with these big ideas. He had been working for a dealer group there. So that's, we met through a mutual friend in the automotive industry. And we'd been dating six, seven months. And he said, I have this crazy idea. I've been working on this business model. I want to come to Texas. Um, You know, the demographics are perfect for everything that we were looking for, for this business model. And, you know, why don't you help me and why don't you do the marketing and why don't you help me with the branding and, you know, we'll go on this crazy adventure together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was like, sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, people always talk about that, you know, being a couple, you know, building that empire mm-hmm. and pushing each other and growing each other. So here you are, you have the, you have the opportunity that most people only, you know, dream of. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So we scrounged up savings, borrowed some money. And moved to Texas in 2004. And like I said, it checked a lot of boxes for us. And uh, we started a company here called Driver Select. Um, And we went from what we had scrounged up in in savings and enough money to start one business to, you know, in about a six-year period, go to about $90 in annual revenue. Oh, wow. And that company has since been sold to Sonic Automotive Group. And 
is now um, rebranded under Echo Park um, since then. But that was a wild adventure. (laughs) So during that time, um, because you said ex-husband, so Mm -hmm. uh, apparently with that business, there was a divorce involved. So Mm -hmm. how was that? How was that handled? Well, we have two kids. So, you know, the most important thing was that, um, you know, we both made choices and we participated in in the marriage not being sustainable. Right. Um, and a lot of that was due to the pressures of being in a startup and working together um, and being in business together. And I think that a lot of people enter into it innocently and naively and there can be a lot of fun mm-hmm. associated with that. But also it's hard work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was a moment of conversation where, you know, we're getting ready to open and, you know, we'd been working, you know, seven days a week, 80 hour weeks. And, you know, you're really tired, you're really exhausted, but we're, you know, we're almost there where we're going to open the doors to this thing. And my then husband said, you know, this is going to be the hardest thing that you ever do in your life, but you're going to look back and it's going to be the best thing. Right. And in so many ways it was because of lessons that we learned, struggles that we went through. And while the business was ultimately successful, it doesn't mean that it's easy. And I think that people confuse success with sort of an ease of lifestyle. Yeah. Right. And that you don't have to make sacrifices. And so for all the outward success, Mm -hmm. right, the monetary success, the wins that you put on the board, the thing that people don't talk about is all the sacrifices that you make. Right. And those sacrifices were sacrifices within the relationship, within the home, you know, we were also a young married couple. We were, you know, living in a new city, very limited friends, building our friends, having children, mm-hmm. <laughs> adapting to being parents, um, and having the business. So while the business was successful, what got sacrificed was our personal relationship. But because of the type of people that we are, it was very important to say, hey, we made these choices. We chose to bring these children into the world. Mm-hmm. We're adults. They didn't have a choice in the matter. So whatever's going on with us personally and how we feel about each other and to get divorced, things have to be at a bad place. Right. Right. But you have to work through that. And we knew we had to co-parent for a long time. So it was putting that stuff on a shelf Mm -hmm. when we had to be parents together. And we committed to that really early on. And that's been a great strategy as we continue to co-parent, as we continue to collaborate um, in business on different ways. Mm-hmm. And we have a really strong relationship and we're both remarried and uh, we have a really strong group relationship and group dynamic with our, you know, respective spouses right. and respect for each other. So I think that a lot of times people in divorce get so caught up in the feelings of the moment right. and not looking long term at, I have to have a healthy, sustainable relationship with this person because I want healthy productive children that feel positive about themselves and their life and where they're going. Yeah. And, and I think, I, cause I've been through a divorce too. Um, I think, uh, divorces can bring out selfishness in people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I say this all the time and it's not all the time, but it's, it's majority of the time that, uh, one person is going to do something in that divorce that you never would have thought they would have done, whether it's, because of the money or because of mm-hmm. uh, the kids or whatever it is. And, and unfortunately it's, it, it's happened and it's proven itself and it's sad, but that's awesome that y'all are able to work through it. So y'all still have business together. 
No, but okay. we do bounce ideas off of each other. You know, there's parts of the relationship that really worked, which was was the collaboration. Um, and we've always been invested in each other's success. Um, you know, and I think for me in that situation, looking back and being on the other side of it, you know, we were very much in it together. But, you know, we were in the automotive industry. We had automotive dealerships. And I've spent my whole career in male-dominated industries. And Mm -hmm. I just sort of, you know, not, that's not a purposeful decision, but there's a lot of assumptions, right. That I was the dealer's wife and the, and a lot of people didn't see the outside, the reality of the day to day of how much I was working, how much I was invested, how much I put in. Now, my husband knew that and he appreciated that, but coming through the other side of it, it's, um, you know, oh, you just, worked in the business that's cute you probably just ate lunch and you probably shopped all, right, all, yeah. all day so you deal with a lot of of that and so it's been a lot of having to reestablish myself and um I think I kind of wanted some things on my own terms that I had gotten independently for myself mm-hmm. and when we got on the even through the divorce you know he was very much an advocate for me finding myself again, finding my voice and finding my own path. And so that's been nice. And, and, you know, it speaks to you fall in love with people for a reason. And when you have children with someone and you build a life with someone, even if they're not in your life forever, you do have to focus on the love and the respect and, um, the things that, that worked. And so, um, yeah, he's been a positive advocate for me moving on and kind of doing things on my own terms and not having to say, Oh, that's cute because that was your your husband's business that's well that's awesome that the maturity (laughs) goes all the way around but i do want to i want to go back to that Mm because you you made a very good point a lot of women go through that how did you handle those situations where people just looked at you as as a woman that probably just ate lunch and did nothing because you obviously worked (laughs) really hard um i had the harsh reality that i had to start over from scratch that it didn't matter what i had accomplished um that it didn't matter what I did, that I had to swallow some pride and I had to start over and prove myself again. Because mm-hmm. again, I was at a point where I didn't know what direction my career was was going to go. Right. So I was, you know, I had kids and so I was doing these t-shirts and I started doing them for kids' parties. I was just making them for my kids because, you know, I'm creative and I couldn't find what I wanted And again, just sort of, you know, naively, you know, it was something to get my mind off of the personal things that happened. So I started doing them for parties. Then I started a website and I started selling them. And without a plan, without a business plan and whatever, I thought, oh, I'll turn this into a business. Mm -hmm. And without really, you know, the capital and not really knowing about the apparel industry, you know, I thought, oh, this is going to be the thing when I get through the divorce. This is going to be what I'm going to do. But again, not knowing all of those things, not knowing the nature of the apparel business that you have to pay for everything up front. Even though I was very successful, I had um, celebrity kids wearing, you know, T-shirts. I was getting letters and requests and my shirts were in people's magazine, you know, with like Matthew McConaughey's kids and all these great, exciting things were happening. Every dime I was making, I was having to reinvest. Right. And I just couldn't get the cash flow going on the business. And it got to a point where it was like, hey, I have to while this is cool and I'm getting celebrity attention and, um, you know, my line is taking off, I'm struggling to buy groceries and I'm struggling to pay bills. 
And again, that's another one of those situations where from the outside looking in, it's like, oh, she just seamlessly, you know, just boop, just flipped a switch and yeah. went into this next thing and it's great. So I had to make a really hard decision that something that was very much feeding my ego at that time to put that on a shelf and then go start over. And so I went again, back to the drawing board to get jobs. And I ended up taking a job at CBS, a sales job where I had a, uh, you're a hundred percent commission, but for three months I got $1,500 a month, mm -hmm. um, which is not great to support two kids on, no. you know, it's not nothing. Um, and then I was a hundred percent commission after that. So I really had to, like I said, check all the ego, check all the expectations, check all the, that I could go from one successful thing seamlessly to another. And I had to do the work and I had to do the hard work. Mm -hmm. Um, but that led the groundwork for me getting back into the agency life. So, you know, and prepared me for that because while I had been in marketing and advertising and events and been a client and been buying a lot of media and things like that, and I understood advertising and I understood marketing and all of those things, I kind of got to learn it from the inside out, right. which gave me another perspective on the business and then built, you know, towards my success now. So, um, going back to going from your apparel line, mm -hmm. <laughs> what, 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 you've done a lot yeah, all over the place. Um, yeah. No. So that has, I'm, 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 I'm shocked, but in a good way, because like you have celebrities, literally, you know, these letters, this, all this, basically a fame, mm -hmm. uh, with, along with this following. And then you, you still had to make that mature decision that, um, you know, fame doesn't pay the bills mm -mm. and, uh, and kudos to you on that. But, you know, like I understand, you know, not by, you know, it, obviously you weren't able to <laughs> afford, you know, the, the groceries doing that business or, or, or maybe it's utilities or whatever mm -hmm. it was, but what was, what was that, that aha moment? Like, Hey, I need to move on from this. You know, I went, you know, I have a pretty good network of people. Um, and you know, I sort of piece together, which this is another business lesson that it's really hard to piece together a business plan when you just sort of something organically happened. And then you're trying to figure out your funding and your plan. And right. while you're learning hard lessons, and I went to a couple people and I had hard conversations about your business plan, it just doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we would love to invest, we would love to give you money. Um, but we can't because you're just not showing me how, um, you know, how this is sustainable and, and, and how you can make it work. And that's hard to hear. Yeah. Um, cause the business plan is not easy to write. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and part of that was just my lack of knowledge on the industry and I was trying to play catch up and I was going to, to seminars and I got a business coach in the industry, but I couldn't catch up quick enough to learn what I already didn't know after the business was already moving. Yeah. And then hearing that from people who believe in me, supported me that I still have relationships with, but this isn't a smart business decision for me to do this for you at this point. It would do me more of a disservice to stretch this out. But what you think is going to be a Band-Aid and stop the bleeding in, in your mind, you're like, oh, I can just, if I just get over this hump, mm -hmm. it'll be fine. Um, so I really had to take a hard look again and say okay we need to start over right 
and you probably should have started this from the get-go. And I don't know why you thought that this was going to be easy and you thought an industry that you had no experience in. Um, but I think at that time, I was trying to get as far away from automotive as I could. Yeah. Because I knew I didn't want to do that anymore, right? And I needed a break, mm -hmm. which ironically is automotive is what brought me back into advertising. So it's, um, you know, sometimes you can't, um, you know, chase away from yourself from the path that you're supposed to be on anyway. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, that's, that's very true. Um, so what has been the difficulty so far before I jump into what mm -hmm. you're currently doing? Um, it's obvious that you've had some struggles and difficulty being a woman in the entrepreneurial mm -hmm. world. What was, what do you think the biggest of that is? I just think that in the world that I'm in with automotive, marketing, advertising, media, this world, it's still predominantly male-oriented. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't mean that there's talent in there, but you know the, the people that are making the decisions, the people that are in the C-suite are male. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's hard for women to break through, you know, still all the things that the automotive industry has done in supporting women and promoting women in leadership you know, they're, they're trying, but it's, it's hard to break through that boys club. Mm -hmm. Um, and you have to be a pretty strong person. And I think sometimes women make the mistake of not believing in themselves enough and not taking themselves seriously enough, because yeah. the biggest lesson that I learned is being a woman that's operating in a, in a, in a male industry is that if you want to be taken seriously, you have to take yourself seriously. Right. And I think, and you know, this is something that, you know, I'm, I'm not perfect and I'm guilty of too, is that I think it's easy for women to fall into the place of the self-deprecation, the funny, the flirty right. as a default when things get hard. And not that stern CEO mentality. Yes. And if you want to stand toe to toe, with the boys, mm -hmm. you, you have to be strong, you have to be confident and you have to be unflinching. Um, and that's what I've had to learn how to do. And I don't think it's natural for me. I don't think that it's natural for most women, but I decided that I wanted to be taken seriously as a business person. So first and foremost, I need to take myself seriously. Yeah. I, and I think society probably plays a role into that with women. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and even, even with, you know, the way some parents, you know, parent uh, little girls all the way up, you know, it's always the dainty and the dress, mm -hmm. but not the, not the powerful, not the business owner type, you know, yeah. um, as, as men grow up, you're told, you know, you can do this, you can own a business, you can do that. And I, I don't, I think women need to be told that more as well as they're, as they're growing like, Hey, this opportunity, because you do see a shift in the corporate culture of, of, of women are starting to become more involved and they're, they're, they're seeing that, Hey, you know, I can do this. I am on the same playing field. I'm, I'm on that same level. And uh, it's like you said, a, a lot of women just, they need to take yourself more serious and have mm -hmm. that motivation and that, uh, that belief that they can do it mm -hmm. and not let people just push them down. So uh, definitely kudos to you. I, I had a, a, a friend of mine, uh, Brandy Hunter, that did the same thing for a software company. And mm -hmm. she was the only female on the board, but that was her goal. She was like, I'm going to be on that board of directors. And she did it and she did an amazing job. So so again, uh, I'm I'm happy for you. So switching gears, we'll jump into. Uh, so you you know you you obviously did a lot of things. Uh, you've jumped around. You had some trial and error, which mm -hmm. you you sound like you have that perfect chart 
of an entrepreneur where you have your high, then your low, and then your high, and then your low, where it's like, what the hell am I doing? And then you come up and you're su- successful. Um, so now you, you, you have started a, a ad agency. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, let's let's jump into that and talk about that. So you started that immediately after um, you had some of the, the hardships and some of the other companies with like the apparel or? It, it was an evolution. Um, you know, I, I went to work for CBS. Um, primarily, they brought me back because of my automotive experience to sell media. And I really mm-hmm. liked that, you know, because I have a lot of contacts in that world and people that I worked with over the years in this market. And it's a very profitable vertical in advertising. So they brought me back to focus on that, which was kind of something I didn't want to do. But, you know, I kind of said, OK, let's play to your strengths here and, and, and what you know, and maybe it's time. Mm-hmm. You know, it had been a couple years and, you know, I was selling advertising. I was rebuilding myself. I was, uh, you know, I had a steady paycheck for the most part. I had insurance, all of the kind of, you know, big girl responsible things that a lot of times entrepreneurs let go by the wayside to kind of chase their dreams. So, mm-hmm. you know, I was very much enjoying sort of a time of being stable and I had a client um, that every time that I would meet with him, that he would tell me, Amy, what are you doing? You're more than this. You're bigger than this. You need to go out on your own. Right. And I didn't want to hear it for all the reasons that I just said. I didn't want to hear it. I wasn't open to it. I said, stop it. You know, whatever, you know, I'm going to be your rep forever. And he's like, no, you're not. You need to go on your own. So we had that conversation at least once a month. For three years. Oh, wow. Every time that I would meet with him and he saw something in me that I didn't see in myself at the time. Um, so the last time we had that conversation, he said, I want you to be my media consultant, my marketing person in house. He goes, come to work for me. I go, oh, no, no, no. I was married to a car dealer. No, no, no. You're way too emotional. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. No, 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 no. I'm not working in a dealership. And he goes, well, then work for yourself. Start your own agency and you'll buy my media for the dealership. And he goes, what will it take to cash flow? And I go, no, I'm not having this conversation. I'm like, because I'm going to quit my job and I have insurance and you're going to do this for three months and then you're going to get mad at me about something or have a bad month and you're going to fire me. Mm-hmm. And he goes, I'll commit to a contract of one year. Okay. And he goes, what What will it take? And I said, okay, well, okay, if you pay me a fee of $5,000 a month, you know, I just threw a number out there uh, for a year and, you know, have me do all your media buying and placing. I'll do it. And he goes, done. Let's do it. Go put in your two weeks notice and let's do this. And you're going, I should ask for 6000 <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> And it took three years of somebody saying that, seeing something in me that I didn't see in myself and pushing me and giving me a little bit of a safety net. And that's how I went out on my own. And so then I'm on my own. And then Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, I only asked for $5,000. Oh, I need more clients. (laughs) 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 Okay, now it's time to get more clients. And so, you know, I knew a lot of people in the business, the industry started reaching out to that network, uh, started building clients. And um, it got to a point where, you know, it was kind of, you know, oh, I knew these guys that did production over here. And I knew this person that did this over here. And I knew this person at this station. And uh, I was like, okay, I need resources. I need people. I need an office. I need all of these things. And then the opportunity for the barbershop Mm -hmm. um, evolved from that. So I actually didn't found the barbershop. I acquired the barbershop. 
So while I was having my, um, you know, building my business, building my consultancy, building my own little agency, an opportunity came with Liz Barber, who is the founder of The Barbershop. Mm -hmm. That's why it's called The Barbershop. It was her shop. Uh, And I had known her, um, you know, in professional circles for a number of years. She's this very legendary woman locally in the in in the industry and she was looking to retire but what anybody who had came with an offer didn't realize was that she had spent 14 years building this legacy and she wanted it to live on right and I saw that and it was important to keep that and honor that because she had offers from other bigger agencies in town that wanted to you know strip her clients take the assets and and dissolve the whole thing and so you know we had a conversation and we had a lot of similarities in our career. You know, she had been through, you know, a divorce. She had had to reestablish herself. Mm. She had ironically worked at CBS and before she founded the agency. And we just had these very odd parallel experiences Mm -hmm. um, that I think connected us. And she knew that I would honor her legacy. So I, again, without a plan or money, really, um, figured out how to buy the the dealership, uh, the agency from her. And six weeks after we had our initial conversation, I closed on the barbershop, and that was now five years ago. And you've obviously you've taken it up to the next level, um, and have grown it substantially in that, in that five years as well. Yeah, not without challenges. I mean, but well, it's all business. Owners. It's always a challenge. But yeah, I mean, we've we've changed a lot. You know, it, um, the agency started uh, in experiential, which is another you know um, experimental promotion events arm, and we still have that. Obviously, twenty twenty was difficult, and then was primarily known for really strong creative and media buying. And then I brought in all sort of the new things. So I brought right. in full in-house production. Um, we've really focused on our digital offerings and offering a full suite of well-rounded digital services. And so besides having more service offerings, diversifying our, our client base and, you know, all of the things. So while the core of the business is still there, yes, it's very much, it's changed, it's evolved, right. it's grown. So so y'all's key component is um, is advertising. Go. Can you go more in depth of what exactly does that entail that y'all that, that you're offering? <laughs> I'm a very I'm a very consultative person. Okay. So the way that clients there are agencies that operate in all different ways. So it can be confusing, and there are buying agencies and creative agencies, and we are a full service agency. The thing that I think really makes us different is that because I come from it with an entrepreneurial angle, we focus on growth primarily. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I like to work with companies that are growing, right. you know, whether you are a startup, whether you're going small to mid, mid to large, um, helped some clients through acquisition. I've been through an acquisition, you know, it's very exciting to me to be a part of the change and a part of, you know, and really dig into their business and understand their right. business. So it can look very differently depending on the client, what they're looking for, you know, and the mix, you know, um, Media has changed a lot from the traditional radio, TV, right. you know, to a lot of what we do is more and more in that digital space. Um, you know, traditional still very much has a place. Radio, TV is not going anywhere. It just changes like mm-hmm. a podcast now. And, um, you know, that's exploding. Uh, the full service creative is something really nice that we offer to clients. So we do production, TV commercials, radio commercials, um, you know, any kind of digital graphic ads, um, billboards, you know, whatever you might need. But 
really having that in-house because a lot of agencies farm that out. So it gives us a lot of control. It gives us a lot of flexibility. We have a small studio in our office. Um, so we are able then by owning all of the equipment and mm-hmm. having the people in-house that do that, while it is more expensive up front, it is cost-saving to the client long-term. Exactly, yep. And we're in a world where, you know, back in the day, you know, a company would do a $10 million campaign and spend all of this money and fly actors and do all of these things. That just doesn't happen now. But then they'd be locked into that creative for a year, two years, three years. Right. We're in a world where creative changes all the time. Oh, yeah. And it makes or breaks a brand being able to pivot for the platforms that you're on. Well, and I think from a marketing standpoint, uh, and I think you'll agree with me on this. Number one, it's probably one of the most important things that has to be on point for your business. And number two, it's, it's like you said, it's forever changing. And you have to stay on top of it almost 24-7 because one day, you know, social media is a thing. And then the next day, you just don't know. You don't know what, you know, what the new way of, of, of reach, of the outlook, the reach is. And maybe it is podcasting or maybe it, you know, maybe it is television. You just, it's. It's hard to keep up with, but you have to do it as a business owner. Yeah. So, you know, we sit down and and the thing that I always like to do is be more consultative. Um, So what are your goals? What are you trying to do with your business? Where are you going with your business? And then, you know, a lot of times, you know, the budget conversation is important. You know, and a lot of agencies go in with the, we're going to sell you on the creative first. Mm -hmm. We're going to get you excited about the big idea. And I think that that's reverse, from what my industry traditionally does, because I think that <laughs> a lot of times you get sold and you get so excited about this idea. And then the cost of producing that idea will cost your entire budget. Right. Well, if you've spent a million dollars to make a commercial and your your whole budget is a million dollars, then who's going to see that commercial? Where is it going to live? What is it going to do? Yeah. So I really like to go reverse. And it's like, okay, here's the budget. Here's our goals. Here's what we want to accomplish. Here's the tactics we're going to use, which that's the beauty of the agency is that we have all the tools in the right. tool shed and I get to talk to you and I get to decide which things are best for you, mm-hmm. right? Because you might be a Facebook person. Uh, someone over here might be a TikTok person. There right. are two different audiences depending on who you're going to target. It's not always the same person. And then we develop, the creative is the last thing that we develop, right? Once we have our budget, once we have our tactics, once we have our goals, then we have the proper creative to implement for the proper tactics at the proper time with the proper Mm -hmm. message so that we're going to connect on a more one-to-one level with your consumer. So they hopefully convert more. Right. And it's just mind boggling to me that still, and a lot of the the big players subscribe to this. Nope. We lead with creative and we have this bit and here's how we roll it out. And and then this is, this is what it is. And if you want to work with us, you automatically have to walk in the door and spend hundreds of thousands of dollars. I'm, I'm going to say the number <laughs> one phrase and downfall of all entrepreneurs and, and businesses do this. And you're going to hate this phrase. And majority of people who listen to this is going to hate this phrase. It's how we've always done it. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what you get. It's how we've always done it. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I hate that because again, it's, 2021 things have changed media has changed social media everything so it's no it's not how it's always done we need to you know we need to advance and do things differently and i like the the point that you made about you know defining your audience and uh, and looking who you're trying to go after because my last guest doc he he said something that just made me so excited and proud for him um 
on the show, he said that 90% of the population was not his consumer. Mm-hmm. He said there's only 10% that can actually, uh, that would buy his stuff. And for a business owner uh, to recognize that so quickly, it, it's huge for him. Mm-hmm. So he knows who he's going after. And uh, so, yeah, I'm glad you, I'm glad you mentioned that because <laughs> it definitely needs to be something that's repeated because, you know, uh, the shotgun approach uh, does not work in the marketing scheme of things. You'll, you'll spend a lot more money than you would uh, actually getting business in. Yeah, and people so. get, you know, is it exciting to see a billboard? Is it exciting to see a TV commercial? Yeah, but if it's not your audience, if yeah. the TV commercial's not playing at the right time with the right frequency right. to the right audience, then that's wasted. You know, there's impressions for impressions sake, and then there are sort of purposeful, meaningful impressions that are going to connect with your consumer. And that's the big differentiator that I don't ever market to market. Right. Um, I want to do it purposefully, not because it feeds your ego. And that's hard. And it's hard for a lot of sometimes male business owners that mm-hmm. I deal with to have a woman tell them that you're making this decision based on your ego. Right. This has nothing to do with what's the best decision for your business. That's why you hired me mm-hmm. to help you make those best marketing decisions for your business. So, um, and I love figuring out the puzzle for clients. The puzzle is the best part. And that's what people don't, you know, they're like, oh, that's exciting. And you know, you do all these things and you're on shoots and, but there's a lot of math. There's a lot of science to go back to, I guess, maybe my science did pay off. There's a lot of math. There's a lot of science. Um, and then there's also the art to making an effective marketing campaign. Right. And there is no wrong tactic. It's because every brand, every service, every product is so different. It's, it's, it's putting that puzzle together to find the right pieces that are going to work for your brand. Right. Right. Yeah. Again, you know, knowing your brand, knowing your audience and where you're going to go and recognizing what's a, a smart decision. If I was offered billboard space in Canada to sell guns <laughs> for $50 a month. Yeah. $50 a month is great, but guess what? I'm not going to sell a lot of guns in Canada. It's just not going to work. Mm-hmm. So, um, recognizing that is, it, it's, it's a smart move and it's a powerful move to know, uh, for your business and brand and, uh, ego will kill you. So you gotta let that go. <laughs> Even as a man, you gotta let the ego go. You hire people for a reason. So trust them. So, um, you know, backtracking back, uh, back to when you, you know, you learned that uh, even before the barbershop that you had that entrepreneurial mindset. Uh, what was that starting point to where you're like, I'm going to dive into this. This is what I want to do. What was the motivation behind that? You know, I don't, I just think part of it is my personality that I never, you know, I was, I was raised um, to believe that it's, it's, it's okay to fail. It's not okay to quit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I sort of knew, even though I wanted everything to be linear and I wanted to be successful, like I said, I think having failures early and failing hard was okay. I think that was great because then that, it, 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 it taught me that I could adapt. It taught me that I could survive, um, you know, and it's, it's, I'm smart enough. I can figure it out. There's always something that you can do. So it was never like a conscious decision that I'm going to be an entrepreneur. And I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs are like that. Like, you know, but it was, I want to do things on my own terms. Mm -hmm. 
Um, you know, and when I did work for a big corporation and, you know, when I worked for a big brand, you realize that your voice isn't as important as you want it to be or you think it is. Right. Um, and I wasn't okay being a cog in a wheel. And because I did have those experiences working for, you know, I mean, CBS is a big national, you know, publicly traded corporation. It's huge that what I said and what I did really didn't matter. Yeah. And the fact that I wanted to make things better because I'm an improver by nature, that didn't matter. No. Um, they just wanted me to show up and they wanted me to play my part. And that was good enough for them, but that wasn't good enough for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was more of what I was not okay with than making this decision of the, oh, hey, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I'm going to do this on my own. It was just more of, I want to do things on my own terms. And I think that I have a lot to give and I think that I can do a lot. So it was more that driving things than, than a conscious decision. That makes sense. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> it's hard to think about. Well, and, and the reason I asked that, I was actually asked that uh, on LinkedIn. I, I had somebody uh, message me and say, hey, what? why did you want to be an entrepreneur? And uh, without even thinking, I, which I do a lot, uh, <laughs> uh, I wrote back immediately and I said, I don't like relying on somebody else controlling my future uh, financially in a company. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he wrote back and he was like, well, then it's, yeah, that's pretty hard. Yeah, I didn't think about that. So like, um, but again, uh, yeah, I, I can, I can You're definitely relate only limited you. by your hustle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you are limited by your hustle. I like that. That's going to be our new pitch line. <laughs> Amy already said it, so I'm not paying for it. <laughs> so, but, uh, so, okay. So now you're newly married. Um, you still obviously have a relationship almost like a, uh, I mean, it is a friendship with mm-hmm. your ex-husband. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're, husband now is mature enough, uh, to understand that and to mm-hmm. see the successes and everything that you're doing. Yeah. Um, how does that, how does that play into your life though with that, that, you know, uh, situation? Um, early on, you know, we've been together a long time. We, we've been married, we're coming up on three years, which still is relatively new, but we've been together coming up on eight. Um, really early on, I think I tried to scare him away and terrify him. Um, when I was dating, Again, being a single mom, you know, I didn't tell a lot of the guys that I was dating, you know, that I had children, that I was divorced um, Mm -hmm. because I wasn't ready until I was ready to be serious. And for me, I needed time to be single, time to figure out who I was. And when we met, um, again, I really wasn't looking for anything super serious at the time, but, you know, I think I was kind of ready to not casually date. And, you know, only one other person that I had dated had, had met my children the whole time Mm -hmm. I was single, because that was important to me that we were serious. And, you know, this guy was so open and, um, willing to be there and willing to do the work. And I just kind of laid it out for him. And I was like, here's all my baggage. Here's all the things thinking that he would walk away and he didn't walk away mm-hmm. and he was ready to take that on. And I do think that that does take a special person. But I think, you know, I always say that, you know, I learned from the mistakes in my first relationship to advocate for myself and to advocate what I wanted and what my expectations were in a relationship. And while part of that motivation was probably to scare him off because I really didn't think I would get married again. Right. I was fine being single, you know, 
are you really ready to take that leap again? But I think part of that was me that I had found my voice. I knew what I wanted. I knew what I didn't want. And laying it out there to somebody early in the relationship, while yes, it would scare some people off, it can set you up for a very healthy, successful relationship with the right person that's willing to do the work. As as a woman too, did you find it uh, difficulty dating being uh, in a successful position that you're in? Yeah, it was really hard to date. <laughs> um, men my age were not interested in me. Was it because you were successful and just like that alpha? Uh, maybe, possibly. Um, you know, it was either younger men that wanted to date me or much older men. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it's finding somebody that's on a similar path and a similar like time and space you are in your life where I I tried all the 31 flavors dating. I was like, okay, what I had previously (laughs) didn't work. So let me try all the flavors and, you know, let me see what's out there and let me see what works and and what doesn't work. Because obviously what I was doing before didn't work. and, And part of that's figuring out yourself. So, you know, dating men that were much older than me was difficult because their children were older. They were out of yeah. the home. They weren't in the same place, right? And they might not want children, want more children. You know, younger guys, you know, didn't want, weren't looking for anything serious, was, which was fine when I was early dating. But it was hard to find someone in sort of that. I was looking for this, you know, hey, this kind of 10-year buffer, you right. know, of where I'm at to find somebody that, yeah. And, and I think a lot of things play play into that, but probably... You know, other men, you know, my age, you know, they are maybe wanting to be the alpha in the relationship themselves, or, you know, they want someone that hasn't had children and they don't want to take on somebody else's children. Mm -hmm. And, um, there's just a lot more that, that comes along with, with somebody like me (laughs) for better or worse. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you do see it a lot and that goes back to, um, you know, women not being in the, in the corporate world as much as, uh, as much as they should, or, or, or much as they, um, you know, deserve to be. And I think, um, women have that mindset, but men also have that mindset as well. And, you know, it's been so much of a, you know, the man's the breadwinner and the woman does this and it does that. So it's, it's awesome to see a woman that stands up and is like, look, that's not how this shit's going to play out. <laughs> like I'm going to do what I want to do. Um, I'm going to build this business. I'm going to build my brand and, uh, and I'm, I'm going to kill it in life and you can join me and build this empire or you can sit on the sidelines and I'm just not going to tolerate it. So, um, so yeah, that's, that, that's a that, great that, recap of how the conversation went. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, my following just went up 3000. <laughs> uh, no. So, and, and, but you, but you have to admit though, you do see that, like you, mm-hmm. you've experienced it. I obviously, I, I don't have to deal with it, but as a woman, you see men, it's intimidation. I, I, I feel mm-hmm. like it's just intimidation. Like they, um, they want to be that alpha male and, and, and have this ego again, going back to ego and it's, it's a struggle. Um, so yeah. Um, I do feel really lucky. I mean, I feel really, really lucky. You know, it's not without its struggles. And I do take that into consideration, you know, that, you know, he is my husband and, you know, I subscribe to that. We should honor each other. We should both honor each other. And, um, he does take more of a supporting role. Um, but I, I appreciate that. I let him know that I appreciate that. And that's part of how he feels he can best serve me as, as a husband, because he, he notices that need in me that I need support, that I need backup 
you know, that I, that I need somebody behind me all the way. And, and it's, and it's great to know that he really, you know, is, is, is there and I'm able to do what I want to do, you know, unquestioningly and, mm-hmm. and, and he unflinchingly supports me in, in whatever my goals are. So I do feel very lucky in that. And I hope I support him, you know, enough <laughs> in return. <laughs> well, I mean, and that's good to hear. What is, what does he do? Uh, he's in the wine business. Okay. Yeah, so okay. he, he works for a private equity firm um, that uh, buys wineries um, that are uh, historically maybe family-owned businesses. Um, like recently they brought, uh, Robin Williams had a winery um, okay. that was his passion project, and he passed away a few years ago. The family really didn't know what to do with the wine. Right. Um, it was it's it's a great wine, a great winery, but they kind of buy them in in that scenario, and then they also buy um, kind of luxury hotel properties across the world too. And so he works with distributors distributing those those products across the U.S. Mm, okay. So going back to the marketing aspect, because mm-hmm. um, I want I want people to really listen to this this piece because it could help their their business and their brand. Um, what is one of the one most important things that you would say people need to know about marketing? Consistency is key. (laughs) (laughs) Can you elaborate? Being consistent. um, And I think because now things are much more instantaneous and and in the moment, right? Mm -hmm. And we want things to work immediately. Um, Like I said, in picking your tactics, there's no wrong tactic, but the consistency of that tactic and giving things time to work, time to build. Um, part of what fascinates me is the psychology behind marketing and recall and how people receive messaging, respond to messaging. And there is a very psychological element in how our brains receive information. So one of my, I'm giving away one of my tricks that I do at at meetings is when I'm trying to explain this to clients is back pre-COVID when we used to meet in rooms is off the cuff, I'd say, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? Mm. What's your favorite flavor of ice cream? Vanilla bean. Okay. I'm boring. So I'd ask, you know, what's yours? And most, most oftentimes it's chocolate, vanilla, strawberry, chocolate, vanilla, strawberry. Mm-hmm. Then I'd pick someone I'd say, but really, what is your favorite flavor of ice cream? Vanilla bean. <laughs> You're the rarity. No, You're like, the I'm rarity. Like it really is. <laughs> You're the rarity. But most people say, okay, maybe it's cookies and cream. Okay. Maybe it's um, cookie dough. Maybe it's, it's mint chocolate chip. And I'd say, well, why did you tell me it was chocolate or vanilla bean? Mm-hmm. Why, why did you say that? were you purposely trying to be deceptive? And they're like, well, no, it was the first thing that popped into my mind. Right. That's the purpose of marketing, that when you are in need of a product or service, that the brand that we are marketing is the first thing to pop into people's minds. When Mm -hmm. you do that Google search, that chocolate chip cookie dough pops up. Okay, that recall. And so consistency is what aids in recall and being front and center when people are ready to make that decision. Because at any given time, 1% of your customers are in market at the moment that you market to them. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean they won't be tomorrow or three weeks from now or a year from now whenever they're ready. But how are they going to remember you if you bailed two months into a campaign? So it's people often think, oh, social media doesn't work for me. Oh, radio doesn't work for me. OTV doesn't work for me. It's not that these things don't work, but they're tools that you have to use consistently. Okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I've heard, and I would like for you to confirm this, but like you, you said, it's even from a, a psychological mm-hmm. aspect, um, even the colors of your logo. 
mm-hmm. play a big piece into this uh, when it comes to marketing and grabbing attention. Yes, colors. Uh, it, it, your your brain absorbs messaging. So, you know, there's there's color theory. There's a whole, you know, there's people take multiple classes on color theory and the way colors play off of each other, the way that you receive colors, the emotions behind colors. Mm-hmm. So part of what you're wanting to receive, you know, you use the color red for right. the hustle, right? Red is is power. Red is strength. You know, red exudes all of these feelings. Red can be anger. Red can be energy, um, you know, and so when you talk about colors, uh, yes, they, they, they emit emotions and feelings. Um, font does the same thing. Font can be playful. Font Mm -hmm. can be bold. It can be intentional. Um, it can be, you know, um, flowery, you know, there are all these adjectives that you describe to the different elements that you, that you pull, um, whenever you're designing a, a campaign. And again, it goes into what are the goals? What are the objectives? And now we're even more in a, that you have to connect, you know, on that one-to-one level. So, you know, I want to be communicated to differently than you want to be communicated to. And so now advertisers have to anticipate the way that their different segments of their audience want to be communicated to. Right. But again, it goes back to the math and science. So you're receiving, we're receiving thousands and thousands of marketing messages every day. I think it's up to like 5,000 messages a day we're receiving as we're scrolling and we're Mm -hmm. driving and we're listening and we're multitasking. So, you know, how do you stand out? And that's frequency of message, right? So you've got to hear the message enough to be able to have that recall. Um, And then you have to be also, you know, in market. So there's a lot of very sophisticated things happening in our brain that are just happening passively that we're completely unaware of as we are receiving all of these messages and things that we're that we're attached to and then when we're ready so maybe I'm in bed and maybe I'm scrolling and then I get that last ad about those shoes and right. and you know Nordstrom said oh we're going to give you 20% off if you order right now then I'm then I'm ready to do it but it doesn't mean that that's the only message that I got they probably had to hit me 10 times over 3 or 4 days to make that happen cuz at right moment yeah so let me ask you a question. With marketing and, and digital marketing changing, do you ever think that the uh, effect and importance of commercials during the Super Bowl <laughs> will ever lose their importance? I think it did a lot this year. I think if you look at this Super Bowl compared to previous Super Bowls, um, in my opinion, it missed the mark this year. Um, you know, I think that people were over the sadness and the sentiment of everything that they had endured. And I felt like a lot of the commercials leaned into that. Right. Um, so I think that they really need to, to look at, at changing that, you know, and the amount of resources that brands put in, um, I don't know if you noticed, but there were a lot more local commercials this year. There were a lot more, um, promotions of of stations promoting their Mm -hmm. upcoming shows and that just shows you that a lot of brands they didn't think hey coming off of a really tough year it's really smart for us to invest in you know 10 million dollars of airtime and a million dollars of production when we can put so much more messaging out um so i'm curious to see what's going to happen for next year for the super bowl because i really felt like so much of it missed the mark Right. This year, because that is something that we look forward to. That is something as, as marketers and people in branding really, really look forward to. And, you know, to me, again, and my philosophy is a little different than a lot of people in, in my business is, 
you know, I don't think that that's a smart play. That's not converting. That's no. an ego play. It's a big brand play. It's a big splashy play. Um, you know, and if you can afford it, great. But is you spending that crazy amount of money to do this 30 seconds or this 60 seconds? Is is that connecting with your consumer? Is right. that sending the right message? And I kind of think that we're at a pivotal moment where people are looking to brands to be more responsible, more socially responsible, um, you know, and what else could you have done with that $10 million that, right. that might have had more impact and would have made me want to, um, you know, affiliate and align myself right. with you. Well, and I feel like, and I'm not, I don't specialize in marketing. I, I know marketing mm -hmm. to an extent, um, just enough to get in trouble. But I, I feel like if I was a big corporation and I had the money to do a Super Bowl commercial, which is what, a couple million? Mm -hmm. um, what effect and what growth would you have if you used that million or, or that couple of million to donate to small business owners to help them through the time? Mm -hmm. Like what kind of growth <laughs> would you have gotten from that? And I'm pretty sure it probably would have been a lot more than what you got from that Super Bowl commercial. Because there were so yeah. many people that probably didn't even watch the Super Bowl because there was so much mm -hmm. political stuff going on, uh, whether it be right or wrong, I, I don't know. But it, I think it would have made a difference. I for think sure. that's, you know, like I said, I think that's where we're at is that people are looking to brands to be more socially responsible. Um, you know, when people are losing their jobs by the millions, when industries are being decimated, could you have, you know, supported, you know, a thousand small businesses? Yeah. Could you have, um, you know, kept that 20% of your workforce that you had to lay off, could you have right. kept them? You know, I, like I said, I, I, I think that it's, it's a very pivotal moment for a lot of brands to look how they spend their resources and that because there are so many options out there that I want a brand that's aligned with me. I want a brand that's aligned yeah. with my values. Of course. Right. Cause am I willing to pay more for a product or service if I feel like it aligns with what's important to mm -hmm. me? Right. Do I want to support children's charities? Do I want to support the environment? Do I just want a company that gives back? Do I want a company that pays a little bit more to their employees right. um, and treats them better? You know, people want to know more intimately a little bit behind the curtain about what's going on with these companies, which, you know, I mean, I'm part of that because I have a company, you know, and, and culture and values is very important to who works there and to our team and what we're able to deliver with with, with our clients. And, um, you know, we are more successful with clients that align with our culture and our values. So right. I, th I think that that speaks to a larger, you know, even almost global, um, you know, trend that's, that's happening now. Um, stepping back and going back to, um, having businesses and, and working through it with a divorce. Cause I mm -hmm. feel like a lot of people can relate to that because mm -hmm. divorces, um, I don't want to say getting more <laughs> popular, but it, it's getting more common. Um, than it was, you know, years ago. Uh, what was the struggles in doing in doing that? Um, having a business together, making decisions of what to do. What was the biggest, uh, I guess, struggle between you and your your ex husband when y'all y'all were making those decisions? There's a lot of them. Um, you know, first is um, giving your employees an idea of what's happening, mm -hmm. which is really hard um, because you don't want them to think that the business is going to fall apart, that it's right. going to affect their livelihood. Um, and it's, 
being vulnerable in a way that maybe you don't um, <laughs> want to be with right. people that are employed by you, right? There are certain lines um, that you cross. So the the first hardest step is figuring out a way. And, and like I said, a lot of conversations had to happen behind the scenes of course. before you're even ready to have that conversation. And you know that this isn't going to affect the day to day and that, you know, we take our responsibility for you and your families, you know, very important, but we feel that these changes are going to take place and you right. need to be made aware of this. So, I mean, I would say that that's, that's step one of like ripping off the bandaid. That's really, really hard <laughs> because you're getting in front of a group of people and that depend on you and that can have a negative, you know, a oh, negative yeah. implication, you know, and then, you know, for me, you know, we have two children and we decided, uh, you know, that we wouldn't try to dismantle the business or that we would try to keep the day to day that because we had two children and this was their future, that we would keep everything intact. Um, so what is the exit strategy? What does that look like when you're so intertwined? Yeah. Um, and I think people have to be prepared for the fact that it's going to take a really long time. You know, it took us almost a year mm -hmm. to sort of unravel enough to have independence where I was not involved in the day to day every day. And I think that when you make the decision that you are getting divorced, right, that, OK, this is happening, that people are so focused on the exit that they don't think of the steps that they have to follow. Right. right? And it doesn't just mean overnight that you don't have to interact with this person, that you don't have to see this yeah. person you know, irregardless of the fact that we have children, just being partners in the business together, that you're still going to have to make decisions together. Um, that a lot of times you probably don't want to talk to that person or be around that person. Um, but the length of time that you're going to have to spend still interacting in the same way and in a healthy way to keep your business going, if that is the goal, um, right. the amount of time that that takes. And that can delay some of the personal healing, right? Because, you know you have other things to consider. It's not just, hey, we're in a relationship and we decided for this relationship to end. So I recommend a good therapist. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can't, you can't be angry, right? Like you have to put all that to the side to make business decisions because you can't, you can't make a decision with emotion. And there's um, dynamics when you're a couple. And we did therapy for a couple of years and we even did therapy um, through the process of our, our divorce to learn how to co-parent together and to learn how to change the dynamic of our relationship because Every relationship, whether you're married or not, you get in a routine, you get in a cadence, everyone has their triggers. Right. And then especially, um, you know, when a marriage is declining, you tend to trigger each other back of and course. forth. And then that's how it escalates. So we had to make a conscious effort to sit down in therapy and it was, okay, you've made the decision that your marriage is going to end. So now we need to look at how we can evolve that relationship and change it to a collaborative, friendship, co-parent, mm -hmm. co-working relationship, which is very different. And you have to retrain yourself to engage with each other differently. That sounds exhausting. <laughs> it is. <laughs> <laughs> so was there ever a point where y'all were trying to make a business decision where um, y'all, it was heated and you really had to like set yourself apart and like re reevaluate yourself and be like, look, I need to take a time out and push things to the side and think business wise? A lot. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, it, it happens a lot. I mean, we had our very defined roles within the business. It didn't mean that things weren't intertwined. But while, you know, he was focused more on operations and mm -hmm. I was focused more, you know, on 
you know, marketing and employee retention and, um, you know, all of those type things. Um, yeah, it, it, it got heated. And, you know, there's a lot of things that, you know, I think both of us realized that, that neither one of us did, or we took for granted that we did every day, um, that through that unraveling process, you sort of discover, which can almost have the reverse effect and make you appreciate it a little bit more. Um, you know, as you transition and kind of go through the process. Okay. So how did, with the situation going on, obviously your employees knew something was going mm-hmm. on. Um, that's just not something you, that you can hide. What was their reactions other than they were worried about having a, a career or not, you know, the next day? You know, um, very supportive. You know, I I feel lucky. I'm still close to a lot of people that worked with us and worked with us from the beginning and were there. And you get very you get very close to people. Right. Um, When you start a company, you know, as as you grow, you're not able to have those close connections. But, you know, you you're there at their weddings and you're there when they have children and they're going through their own life changes. So it was really supportive. Um, you know, and wanting us to be happy and, you know, with, I would never expect someone that worked for us or, you know, had some sort of personal relationship with us to pick sides, but you could definitely see that they saw things on both sides because it took both of us to get to the place. You know, it's, it's never one person's fault while, why a relationship fails. Um, you know, and they saw the positive things that, you know, one person may have done and, and, and how they weren't received well with the other person. And, you know, maybe it was somebody that had been with us from the beginning, Mm -hmm. you know, when it was all just, you know, new and we were just giving it our all to when things started to dissolve and not be as positive and maybe be estranged. People see more than you think that they do, even though you might not be talking about it. So I would say more supportive from a, from a, personal level you know once you know the 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 shock of it the shock of like we never thought that this would happen or maybe we saw that things weren't perfect but and one thing that surprised me and and you know and I and I feel like if you if you feel like somebody needs help you should ask them if they need help right because a lot of the feedback that I got was you didn't seem happy but I didn't know how unhappy you were and I wish I would have said something yeah and I think that that, no matter what situation you're in, if you see somebody that seems unhappy or sad or struggling in some way, just ask. Just ask them to help. Yeah. And what you can do. And when I think about that, if a couple of people had reached out to me and said, "Are you okay? Can I help you?" As independent as I am, that would have made a huge difference. Well, and that goes a long way, right? Just mm-hmm. the question, "Hey, are you okay?" Because yeah. you never know what the answer is going to be. <laughs> like, because if if if. It's obvious enough for you to recognize somebody's maybe in a struggle. Mm-hmm. You never know. I mean, of course, you know, they may say, yeah, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but you never know what they're going to come back with yeah. uh, and what they're struggling with. And I would maybe push back a little and say, you don't seem fine. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and if you don't want to talk about it, that's fine. But I don't think you're okay. And I'm here if you do. Right. And, and, and I'm a person about words, too. So I've learned very quickly. Uh, if someone says I'm fine, they're probably not fine. I hate that word. Fine is not a good word. Fine's not fine. Yeah, you're not fine. So, so um, the barbershop now is uh, it's 
women owned and uh, the majority of the workforce, correct? Yes. I'm a big proponent of, you know, empowering women and letting women grow, but we do let men work there too. Oh, you do? Yes, we do. (laughs) So, um, and so how's that journey been being a a woman owned company? You know, again, the advertising world is, is traditionally a male dominated industry, even still, you know, all the, the big players, all the big national, you know, all the consolidated holding companies, you know, are predominantly male. Um, you know, again, it's another industry that's trying to promote women from within. Um, but I have been lucky, you know, with my team and with the talent that I look to promote. And while, you know, I'm not specifically looking to hire women, I feel lucky that the women that I have hired and that work for me and, and, you know, I try to give them room to grow and room Mm -hmm. to evolve. And I always want people to feel like there is some place to go, um, you know, and let them own things. And I love seeing people discover strengths that maybe they didn't necessarily know that they had and watch people blossom with certain skill sets. And I think me being a woman, while, you know, I appreciate, you know, the growth of mailers or whoever work for me, um, I just have an affinity to watching that happen, you know, with other women and see them gain confidence over time um, and, you know, and and gain different skills and have growth. And, you know, I do, for better or worse, get very personally attached to my team. You know, you spend so much of your week. I probably spend more time with my team than I do, you know, with my family. You know, even if you just go off the eight hour, you know, say it's an ideal eight hour working day you know, you're with these people a lot. So they do become your family to a certain extent. And so I really do love to see them grow. But um, I do demand a lot. Um, You know, I am a perfectionist. Um, I've learned over time to want progress over perfection. Mm -hmm. Um, We're in a demanding industry where everything was needed yesterday. Um, It's it's fast paced. It's a lot of crisis management. It's a lot of time management, prioritizing, reprioritizing, workflow. Um, and it's and it's not for everyone and it's not for every personality, um, but it's fun at the same time. And if you enjoy a challenge and being pushed and being stretched and constantly having to grow and adapt and learn, Um, then I think that it's really fun regardless, you know, of who you are and your gender or, you know, or what your affinity is. But I definitely think that you do have to have a certain personality for, you know, the role that you're, that you're taking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm, uh, uh, I'm gonna have to put you in touch with with those guys (laughs) who send vodka because we, uh, (laughs) I have been enjoying this vodka. It's delicious. And, um, you know, I'm I'm not normally a, a, a sipper of vodka, but I, have definitely enjoyed that over the yeah, past I, hour. <laughs> I mean, I mean we, we've just poured it on ice and it's, uh, we're, we're to our pretty much our, well, I'll say third glass because our, our my pores <laughs> have been heavy. <laughs> so, um, no, um, that's, that's exciting to hear, uh, that a company, um, is able to, to push through that, uh, just that mentality and expectation of, of, of a man's world. Um, because it is, there's so much potential out there uh, between, you know, all sexes and races. And for for anybody to downplay 
any of it, but whether it be a sex or, or a race or a gender, um, you know, it's just, it's just crazy to me, especially in today's mm-hmm. world, because the, the creativity and the possibility and, and just the opportunities you have to collaborate with others uh, on an even scale is just, I mean, sky's the limit when, you, when you're open to doing business with anybody. Um, and again, I keep circling back to this, but you hit such a, a, a good point was just letting that ego go and focusing on your business and not not on your on your yourself or on your ego and that's i think that's where success really comes into play you know the biggest thing is showing up every day the biggest thing is doing the work it's never easy you know if you expect it to be easy um when you own your own business or when you start something it's it's never easy um it's work it's not vacation it's not fun time it's it's work and just because you know, I'm very passionate about what I do. I love what I do, but that doesn't mean that it's still not work and it doesn't mean that it's still not hard. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, at the end of a week, I have an immense satisfaction for what I do. And, but speaking to being, you know, a woman and an ethnic minority, being a Hispanic woman, at the same time, I don't want somebody to give me the work because of that or choose right. me because of that. Like pity. Yeah, because, and and I think that, you know, just speaking strictly for myself, that maybe that's what drives me to work harder because you should pick me to do the work because I'm the best fit for you because I'm going to work the hardest because I'm going to go above and beyond because I care, which caring is something that you can't buy and caring is something with my team that I think above all else, you can learn a lot of skills, right? but you can't teach somebody to care and to give a shit. Yeah. Um, you can't teach that if it's, if it's not there. And so, you know, yes, I am a minority. Yes, I am a woman, but I will prove to you that I am the best person for the job and I will work the hardest and I will work the longest and I will do whatever it takes. And that's just my personality because I care. And that's a big key component with my team is that everybody cares Sometimes we care too much and we wish we didn't care as much. Right, yeah. Um, but I think that that's the, the, that's the key thread to sort of the success in the culture of, you know, the relationship is that at the end of the day, everybody really cares about delivering a quality product or service or hitting that deadline or having a killer event or coming up with something and doing it differently than it's been done before and really helping people. A lot of the conversations that we have are centered around doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Right. Is it the easiest thing to do? Is it the most profitable? But at the end of the day, this is the right thing to do. So we're going to do it. Yeah. And I think majority entrepreneurs wouldn't do it if it was easy. I think <laughs> the, the, the hard part of it, the struggle of it, I, I almost think that's like an addiction because you want that, you want that challenge. Owning a business is not easy at all. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> anybody that ever says that it's easy, then uh one or two things they they obviously they don't work and they have people that do it for them or <laughs> or it was completely given to them so but starting doing a startup is there's a lot of challenges in it and i i think um you know being an entrepreneur myself i i think that's the excitement of it though because you're mm-hmm. challenged to use your creativity and to collaborate with others to build a brand that's going to be successful and that other people believe in and uh and and that's a you know 
when you're able to do that, that's a good success story that not everybody can have. Yeah. And, you know, I really pride myself on, you know, last year during a very challenging year when there were lots of times I wasn't sleeping at night or waking up in the morning, not knowing if I was going to wake up to even having a business, right? Because nobody knew the implications of what was happening when it was happening. And I think to this time last year, you know, did I grow like I wanted to? Did we have as much money fall to the bottom line as we wanted to? No, but the very big wins for me, you know, did we have severe revenue impact? But the very, yes, but the very big wins were, you know, I got to keep my team. Right. Nobody lost their job. And that was really like, you know, it's it's funny how, you know, you have hard years, you have good years, you have years that are harder than others. And last year was one of those inexplicably complex hard years in so many ways because people are going through so much personally as well as professionally and trying to keep a business going, trying to keep your team engaged, trying to adapt everything about your business to this new working environment because we are creative. So we're very collaborative by nature and we're our best when we're collaborating towards each other, but um, not knowing, you know, what was going to happen and having people try to look to you for answers and and guidance and, hey, what's going to happen here and really not knowing. And so, you know, my big wins are, you know, everybody got to keep their jobs. We survived. We're still here. We got through the year. We were actually profitable on paper, you know, if you look at it. Right. And um, I feel like as a team, it brought us closer. Yeah. In so many ways. So. And, and that's, and that's pretty powerful to say that you didn't have to lay anybody off. I was actually reminded this, reminded uh, of this by um, DK. Um, I have a commercial cleaning business, and uh, you know the struggle is, you know, okay, is my bottom line where it needs to be? Is my marketing where it needs to be? Did my business grow? And I was quickly reminded, you know, you didn't lay anybody off, and that was the important thing. And I didn't even, <laughs> and I didn't even think about that, not from an empathy standpoint, but just, you know you tend to forget stuff about that when you're trying to grow a business and maintain uh, a client base. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's, I mean, that's a powerful statement to go through <laughs> something like that and say, Hey, I kept everybody employed and, uh, and, that, and that's exciting. And, and uh, so, yeah, uh, again, <laughs> I applaud you for that. Um, so is there anything else in the books? Are you just, are you going to focus on, uh, the barbershop or do you have anything else that you want to build or grow along with it? You know, I've been looking to grow this business and anybody that's in business knows that organic growth is excruciatingly um, painful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's excruciating. It's painful. Um, and like I said, you have your, your good years where you feel like you're gaining momentum, right. And you're going to build off of that. I, you know, I got into this knowing that I wanted to grow the business to a certain level because, you know, I always, anybody, you know, that I would give advice to is, is you, you have to have an end game, an end goal Mm -hmm. when you start a business, when you walk into something, it doesn't matter what that is. It's, it's okay. I want to go from zero employees to 10 employees, or I want to go to, you know, making a hundred thousand dollars a year or a million dollars a year, whatever you want. And, and, you know, there's, there's a book that talks about your BHAG, your big hairy audacious goal, you know, from way, way back and in a business book. And so, you know, make your goal big, but you got to, you have to have an end game. Um, but it's not going to be linear to, to get to your goal. So I always knew that growth would come between a combination of organic and acquisition. So, you know, I have been 
looking at acquisition opportunities. But the thing that's difficult about that is finding another organization that aligns with yours that can either, you know, add to your core competencies or maybe develop another revenue stream or revenue line. Right. So again, you know, there's always positive and negatives out of every, you know, thing that can happen, whether it's an economic downturn, a pandemic, you know, things like that. So, you know, more opportunities over the last year have have presented themselves. So, you know, I'm hoping in the next year to, you know, close on an acquisition, um, you know, that would very much complement the barbershop and that would help support our organic growth and add to our service offerings. So that's something that I'm always, always looking to do. I'm, I'm interested after it happens, obviously you can't talk about it now, <laughs> but I, I'll be interested to, to hear about it. And congratulations. It's always a, that's always a fun step. So, um, during, so I, I do want to go back to, uh, during COVID, mm-hmm. um, obviously things, obviously things were a, a shut down. Mm-hmm. What advantages did you take during that time? Because obviously it, I'm assuming it slowed down for you as well. Uh, to a certain point, mm-hmm. um, what advantages did you take of having some of that time? You know, um, we had driver select during um, 0809, you know, which was the big, you know, mortgage, uh, you know, bubble burst, um, you know, economic downturn at that time, recession, and also the automotive industry got hit really hard. Oh, yeah. And that was a time in in the automotive business that very much mirrored what went on now where, you know, people we knew that were multi-generational in the auto business were going out of business. Um, You know, we completely pivoted our business model at that time. You know, we had to go through laying off people. Um, You know, we had to really look at things. So I learned a lot of hard lessons about surviving. Right during a difficult time. So again, it's like, you know, sort of I get hit by these, okay, 9-11, okay, the 08-09 recession, you know, that really hit and surviving through that. So I took those lessons learned and um, you have to look at everything. So um, be decisive uh, and make decisions quickly. So I looked at every expense that we had and evaluated every expense and what could I renegotiate? What could, what expenses could I cut? What Mm -hmm. did we really have to have? At the same time, we had to pivot and because we were working remotely, so it's it's literally one day we're working in the office and then the next day we're all working from home and, and how is our communication going to be? How is our collaboration going to be? How is our workflow going to be? And then simultaneously dealing with clients, asking us for advice and what they should do, what they should pull off of, should they should they put dollars here versus there? How, worrying about how much clients are going to pull back and right. and what clients are not going to be able to survive this, you know, what, yeah. what businesses are going to be impacted. And so it's really funny that, you know, there's a little bit of snobbery in my industry about the sexy clients, right? The, yeah. the entertainment clients, the hotel clients, the restaurant clients, and, you know, that there's more cachet to that. And I got very lucky that, you know, I work with a lot of education clients and, obviously automotive clients Mm -hmm. and I work with a lot of home service and essential businesses. So where I may have within, you know, the industry and the circles, you know, just here in Dallas gotten, you know, a little thumb, thumb their nose at me about, you know, Oh, you do business with a lot of blue collar workers. Well, those blue collar workers, those hospitals, those educators, those home service people, they're essential. And, 
that's why I was able to survive because these are essential people. They might not be sexy, but how are those sexy businesses working out for you now? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I like working with those people because they're real and they have a lot of the same considerations that I do. And where we got saved was, okay, maybe they pulled back on media dollars, but everybody had to get out new messaging about what they were doing and how they were being safe yeah. and that they were open for business and that they were able to serve. So it was like, okay, we're losing this revenue here, but we're putting this revenue on. Um, and it was just being smart um, about just really looking at and and making the cuts where I could. And I cut everything. I renegotiated everything. I renegotiated all my insurance policies, everything pertaining to my business that I could renegotiate, right. I did. I talked to my landlord, you know, and I said, hey, what can, you know, what can we do? I've been a right. good tenant. You know, instead of, I am a business person. I like to be fair. I like to do business the right way. And, you know, I don't think it's right just to stop paying rent because my landlord that owns the building. That's his business. He's got to pay a mortgage, yeah. you know, but at the same time, can we communicate? Are there things that you can be done? Hey, you've been a great tenant for five years. Okay. Maybe I can cut you a little break or maybe right. if you sign an extension of your lease or we look at reworking your space, um, you know, we can save you some money, but then I'm still making money. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's being open and communicating and, and that's quite a, you know, that's, that's a lot of what went on yeah. last year. <laughs> and, well, and two points there, and not just because of last year, but as a business owner, every, every so often or every few years, you should renegotiate mm -hmm. and, and bid out your, your need, what you have with your business, whether it's your rent space uh, your marketing, uh, you know, social media management, whatever it is, you, mm -hmm. you should reevaluate that and just, and have it bid out, um, just to, you know, and it's just good practice. Uh, we do it a lot and it's, you know, it's, it's saved us money. Um, of course, don't always go with, don't always go with the cheaper <laughs> company, uh, cause that'll bite you in the ass, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> you know, go with the best fit company, but it's always yeah. good to have a, a fit and a management of those numbers with your business. The, the other point that you said uh, that I want to bring up is, um, as a business, what do you need? Mm -hmm. And what I have found being very successful in owning businesses is I treat my businesses like myself. Um, I don't need a lot of like big name brands as a person going around. So therefore, I don't need that kind of stuff as a business. Mm -hmm. So I look at... Um, what's important for my business to grow and what's important for my business to be successful. That's what matters. The, 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 the lights and the excitement and the, 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 uh, really, you know, extravagant, you know, stuff for my business. That's not going to benefit it. Um, that's just an ego thing. Mm -hmm. You don't have to have that stuff. And, uh, and I've made the mistake of having it and learned, uh, that I don't have to have it, but, uh, it only took one time. <laughs> so it only took one time. So after that, it was like, okay, well, is this going to benefit my business? Is this going to benefit my customer, uh, my clients and my, and my staff? If not, then I don't, I'm not worried about it. And, uh, I saw a very steep, uh, financial and successful growth after doing that. Yeah. And I think a lot of companies that come through the other side of these challenges and made hard decisions and made changes, they're going to find that they're organizationally better, yeah. right? Because you had to take a hard look at things because, you know, times got lean last year and 
you know, we, we all didn't know when I just think to a year ago, we all didn't know how long this was going to last, what we were in for all of those things. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a hundred percent with you that I would much rather invest in my people and in my growth than having, you know, a yoga studio in my office or a, you know, or a suite, right. uh, you know, at a football game, those are things that you don't need from a business and it's not really important. And, you know, we are in a business of relationships and, you know, yes, facilitating your client relationships is important, but you know, what's, what's meaningful to your, your client right. and, 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 and what's their perception going to be of that too, you know, of, getting gifts or being taken out or the way that you spend money or the way that your office space looks, you know, again, that's another way of like aligning your values of, you know, we want to put the money in the work Mm -hmm. and we want to put the money in the team, not in the stuff. Right. But the stuff can be distracting and enticing. (laughs) Well, and it can, but gosh, I feel like it stunts your growth as a business. Mm -hmm. Um, You want to take somebody to a, to a game. That's fine. You can buy them front row tickets for still a third of the cost of what you're going to spend on a suite. Like you don't need the suite. Like it's not, it's just not a flex anymore. I feel like with a lot of business owners and um, I mean, yeah, it's, it looks good and it looks cool, but is it what's best for you and your employees and your clientele? Yeah. And I I think sometimes those things can send the wrong message to an employee, right? What about somebody that's maybe deserving of a raise or asked for a raise or has had a good tenure or is looking for growth and they're getting told that those opportunities aren't there, but then they watch the business owner go spend money on these things. So not even from the client perspective, but from the culture you're trying to build with your employees, you know, if you're telling an employee no, but then you're placing a big importance on something, um, you know, then I think that sends the wrong message as well. Yeah. I, I totally agree. As a as a business owner, uh, you're not going to, um, you know, if you have employees seeing you doing all these extravagant things, but you've told your employee that I can't tip you, I can't, or I can't give you a raise, I can't do that. Bottom line, invest in your employees mm-hmm. and take care of them and they'll take care of you and your, your business will be successful, period. And I think business owners need to be hands-on too. You know, I subscribe from the philosophy that I would never ask someone to do something that I won't do myself. Right. So a lot of our policies of our procedure, you know, we do, we keep time. It's the way that we keep track, you know, for, for billing for a lot of clients. Um, is it tedious? Is it, is it great? Do I enjoy putting my time in every week and accounting for that? No. Um, but I ask my employees to do it. So I hold myself accountable to the same thing, you know, um, you know, reporting things that we say that we'll do for clients. I, there is no job that I am too good to do. Mm-hmm. Um, because I want to lead by example and because I want people to see that and connect with me that I'm here, I'm here to support you. I'm here to be with you on this. I'm not here to tell you to do this. Right. Um, you know, which, yes, at the end of the day, you know, I'm making decisions, but I feel like, for me, leading on a peer-to-peer level is much more empowering than me trying to, um, you know, micromanage someone, which, I mean, I'm, I am a type A personality, so some people might argue with that a little <laughs> bit. Um, but I really do try to come from a peer-to-peer place, right? That we are both professionals. We are both trying to do a job, and I want to empower someone to take as much ownership as they want and take this as far as they want to go. Right. 
So uh, going back to uh, education, and we're going to go way back into the conversation <laughs> uh, in college, and I, and I ask this a lot um, because I'm, I'm indifferent about it. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you benefited from, from going to college, or do you think that with your career path and, and now knowing you have that entrepreneurial mindset, would you have been better off kind of doing your own thing sooner? I have a lot of opinions on this and, and, and I, work, <laughs> yeah, and I, and I work with, you know, I, I work with a lot of education clients. So I very much see a value in, in education. And of course, institutionalized I, I, yeah. education is, is, is not the path for everyone. And I'm of the generation, I mean, I'm 42 years old where I grew up where, um, there were no uncertain terms that I was going to go to college, right? right? And I very much subscribed to that narrative that you had to go to college to get a high-paying professional job. Yeah. And that was the narrative that was told to me from as long as I can remember that you were going to go to college, right? you right. know? And maybe part of that's me being a woman. Maybe that's part of my family. You know, my grandmother, her expectation was that she would get married and she would be a housewife and she would have children. Right. Okay. My mother, the next generation, she was given two choices that she could, well, no, actually three. She could get married and be a housewife. She could go to secretary school and learn how to be a secretary, or she could be a hairdresser. Oh, wow. So she was given three choices. Yeah. Uh, She chose to be a hairdresser and then, you know, on and on. And so when my mother was raising me, she was said, there's there's no limit to what you can do. And you can be anything that you want to be and want to do and was very empowering. But I don't know if following the path of going to a four-year university, while it helped me immensely socially and emotionally, I do not think that it prepared me for the workforce and and the reality of what my day-to-day is. I could have used much more practical skills. Could I have gotten the same skills at a community college? Could I have gotten the same skills from more internships and more practical learning? Probably. Um, It was invaluable social emotionally. um, And I very much enjoyed myself. And I think that those years give you room with a little bit of a safety net to kind of stretch your legs, figure out who you are, um, figure out what direction that you want to go. But I I, I think it's unrealistic to ask any 18-year-old, 17-year-old, 19-year-old, even like, you know, 25-year-old what do you want to do with the rest of your life? You yeah. have the answers to those questions. <laughs> I'm so glad you said that. Cause that's so, it's so true and so powerful. You're, you graduate high school, 18, 19 years old. And you're saying, Hey, pick this major. This is what you're going to do for the rest of your life. And at 18, 19, that's not what you're thinking about. <laughs> and that's not what's even advertised. That's what the bad part about it is when you're 18, 19 years old and you're going to college, you're thinking about parties, fraternities and sororities, mm-hmm. football events. You're, I mean, yeah, you'll have your few that are, are focused on that career. But even then, they don't know what they want to do 100%. They've seen some stuff and think, oh, yeah, I want to do that. But you don't know if you want to do that until you actually do it. And, <laughs> and just like you, <laughs> you thought you wanted to be a marine biologist. And then you got into class and you're like, oh, hell with this. Exactly. <laughs> so... I think mentorship is much more valuable. And I do think that we're at the situation where we're at, where so many people have immense amounts of student debt that they feel like is crushing. 
that they feel like that they're never going to get to pay off, that they feel like there's no way out of because they bought into that narrative right. too, right? That you need this degree from this certain institution yep. that's that's going to mean something with with what you're doing and it's it's not real practical advice it's it's you know hey if 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 you want to be x here are the things that you need to do to be x your degree yep. from whatever university does not determine your success or your ceiling or your yeah. your your floor for that matter um it, it's all based on the work that you put in so you know, while I look at my college years as some of the the best years of my life, and they were formative, and I was lucky that I that I did establish mentors. If I had known that there were other ways to get there, yeah. those other ways probably would have been more direct and more meaningful, and I would have probably stumbled less along my path. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, well, and just with student loans, you know. Gosh, that, that inhibits people from so much after they graduate because now they're stuck with this mm-hmm. big loan that they didn't know any better. And uh, we, we actually talked about this on the last show. And um, I, I feel like loan companies take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're targeting these you know naive kids that just want to go to school and get an education. And, uh, and they, they, I think they take advantage of it in these interest rates. And, and some of these people pay on this loan for... I mean, I know people that are in their 30s and 40s, and they're still paying on a student loan when they graduated when they're 25, and that's just that's absurd to me. <laughs> so, um, the other thing too that I feel like on the educational level, uh, I think the main point of college and having that degree, and there, there'll be people that argue with me, and I'll probably get some some backlash <laughs> on this, but it's how I believe. So whatever, uh, I feel like the, the biggest thing on a college degree is it just shows that you're teachable. That's true. That's um, I have true. a biology degree, and I started working in oil and gas. <laughs> I mean, like it, it had nothing to do with it. So I, I was burnt out on school, and and uh, I, 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 I thought I wanted to be a physical therapist and go get a doctorate in that, and uh, I was over it. And so I went and worked for a big oil and gas company and became an engineer with them. So I do think you know education never ends. I think front loading yourself. I, I also think that's kind of a myth that just because you check off that box of you have your four year degree or right. two year degree or you've gone to trade school that that's all you'll need to know ever. Uh, that's something else that I didn't anticipate that I'm better if I'm continually trying to improve and educate myself. Right. And it doesn't mean that I've gone back to university. Yes, I've thought about going back and getting my master's and getting advanced degrees, but. What I get more value out of is, um, you know, different organizations that, yep. I, that I'm a part of, different, you know, business groups and leadership groups and and classes and books that I read and podcasts that I listen to, yep. um, you know, and if I can get a nugget out of that, um, I think that that is, that's much more practical and people need to understand that to evolve and to take the next steps that education never stops. Never. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, basically a podcast, you know, certain podcasts, it's, it's like sitting in a virtual lecture mm-hmm. when you're listening to it. Um, no, that, it's definitely, it's definitely interesting, but it, I, I feel the same way about the, about education and when it comes to it, I, I don't think education should ever stop. I'm not downplaying education yeah. at all. Um, I think everybody has their, their different way of learning. I think everybody has, you know, college isn't for everybody for sure. Um, I think everybody's pushed toward towards college, mm-hmm. but my argument on that is, um, 
how many people have degrees and have applied for jobs and they got the feedback you don't have the experience yeah and uh i i think we tend to forget that and we've been so focused <laughs> on college and and education that uh, we forget the importance of of trades and uh the actual experience of, of growing up and having that kind of stuff and as there's well. a real lack of people that are doing trades or quote unquote blue collar jobs. And, you know, I work with a lot of home service companies and one of the things that I've learned that I didn't know, and, you know, not that I would grow up and become a a plumber. I don't really think I'm cut out to be a plumber per se, but that, you know, a plumber out of trade school in three to five years can make over six figures. Oh yeah. No idea. And start their own business. No idea. The same with an electrician, the same with an HVAC technician, the same with a roofer, you yeah. know, that that these people, and then you can build a business and you can make millions and millions of dollars. And what seemed to be, you know, an unglamorous or, you know, a not polished or a blue collar profession versus a white collar profession that, again, that's part of that myth and that narrative that there's only this path and only you know, if you go to the university and you get a white collar job, then that's, you know, then that's an acceptable thing. What I'm hoping, which I always try to look for the silver lining, you know, out of any tragedy or any catastrophe is that 2020 created a lot of opportunities. And I think specifically education is a category that had to pivot a lot and that perhaps it changes our traditional view of what a college or university experience should be like, that you can be in the workforce and you can be taking classes online, that maybe a community college or maybe a trade school is good for you or Maybe 2020 taught you that you were not in the seat that you were supposed to be sitting in. Right. And maybe you want a career change and maybe that extra space and not having to commute allowed you to maybe take some classes or take some courses or experience a career change. And I hope it makes people look at that of like, okay, I'm not going to pay $200,000 for this degree, but I can go and I can take some courses that are going to help me get where I need to be and look at it as a more individualized experience than just a blanket. I'm going to check the box that I got this degree. So I hope that happens. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, and I do too. And I think, uh, like you said, I think 2020 was a year for entrepreneurs and startups because you had that break in, in life, right? Like mm-hmm. you're at home, you have nothing to do, but to work <laughs> on yourself and your business literally had a year to build something. So I, I hope that, everybody uh, you know took advantage of that that wanted to, to do their startup or their or their and or their business because that was the opportunity to do it in mm-hmm. so well um, so going back to the barbershop um, what is y'all's plans for 2021 now that y'all are coming out of 2020 um as we kind of look at it, you know 2020 was I call it the year of of doing the work over and over again, right? Because right. we cause we went in and and uh, in our business, you know, traditionally the fourth quarter is when we're planning, you know, the next year for all of our clients, and um, we had already we had gone into twenty twenty with everything planned, everything laid in. March, everything shut down. We basically reworked all the plans. Then, you know, in Texas, we started opening, uh, you know, mid-May, reopening to some extent. And then it was, again, reworking, okay, what does that look like now that we're reopening? Right. And then all the potential, you know, pullbacks and are we going to have to shelter in place again? And then it was very unusual that we were still planning holiday for clients, which holiday looked very different this year than it typically does. We were still planning holiday while we were trying to work on, okay, what does 2021 really, really look like realistically? 
um, you know, Q1 has been soft. It's been a lot like 2020, you know, sort of a continuation of sort of this cautiously optimistic. But I would say even in the last month, um, there's been a change. You know, I call it, I, I feel like everybody's kind of waking up from hibernation. Right. Um, you know, and this is what all the economists and all the people that, you know, are much smarter than me and, you know, do this for a living. You know, they all said, okay, Q1 is going to be soft and Q2, you know, the economy is really going to start churning. And this is irregardless of, you know, anything political. It's just the world being able to open up, you know, getting vaccines and, um, you know, just people that have pushed through. It's it's time for us to go back to work. It's right. time for us to figure out how to go back to work. And I really feel like everybody's kind of waking up from that hibernation. And, you know, we need outlets for enjoyment and joy again, right? It's been it, it's been very tough on every segment of of everyone in our population, old people, young people, parents, um, you, you know, stress of losing a career or being an essential worker and being in, in difficult places. So I'm very encouraged, you know, experiential is still a very um, big part of our business, even though 2020, we didn't do things that we did, but that I have clients coming back to me. Okay. We're yeah. ready to test the waters. We're ready to try this. We're ready to try this. Okay. On a limited level, at least we're having the conversations, you know, and those things are looking like summer, but you know, I think our concerts are going to come back. I think our festivals are going to come back. I think our community events are going to come back. And that makes me very excited personally and professionally um, because that's very much a part of our business that I love. But on a personal level, I think that all of us need that. We need joy. We need things to look forward to. We need mm -hmm. to be able to take vacations again. We're not a species that is able to, for a prolonged period of time be able to exist in isolation no, and i think it, it's time that we you know work our way through that well yeah <laughs> <laughs> that was, <sorry>. no no <laughs> you're, you're you're absolutely right and uh I, I can i can relate to that and um yeah uh during quarantine um that that definitely proved that we're we're not uh, a species just to sit at home and do nothing um so there's a lot of people that invented a lot of things <laughs> <laughs> and, and sitting at the house and had nothing else to do. So, um, well, Amy, as, as we come to a close, uh, I would love for you to give a, uh, you know, 10 second to 15 second elevator pitch about the barbershop and give a little bit more uh, information about people and how they can contact you for their advertisement and marketing needs. Uh, okay. We are at thebarbershopmarketing.com. You can visit our website. You can email us at info at thebarbershopmarketing.com. It's a very long URL. <laughs> <laughs> so I apologize for that. Um, like I said, we love to help businesses grow. We love to help businesses accomplish their goal. And we really like to be an extension of our clients' team. Um, you know, and, and I always say the more we can be involved in your business, the more successfully that we can do our job. Um, everyone on our team gets excited about, you know, uh, just just helping businesses, learning about businesses. And, you know, we care. We do a lot of things, like I said, from experiential events and promotions to creative to media buying. And even just from a consultative standpoint, mm -hmm. um, you know, and I always tell people, you know, I, I got the opportunity to go back and speak at my university last year. And, 
um, I'll, I don't know if I should do this, but give my personal email address, which is amy at the, at the Um, But whenever I spoke and, and it really touched me that I had students reach out to me, I love counseling. I love being consultative to clients. I love uh, being a mentor whenever I can. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so if you need help, you want to talk about your career, you want to talk about your business, I'm really open to that. And that's not something that I charge for. It's just sort of a personal passion of, right. of, of mine to help people. Um, and, and I'm an improver and I want to help people improve. And, you know, I know a lot of people that graduated or that were trying to graduate and find jobs and particularly in marketing, advertising, you know, arts and entertainment, you know, felt really discouraged. And so it's been really great to be a resource to some people to just call me, don't get discouraged, don't quit trying, um, don't give up, you know, exhaust all possibilities. You know, I'm also a connector and, and if I can help connect with someone in my network that might be a fit, I will, because, you know, I believe that, you know, it, 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 the rising tide, you mm-hmm. know, helps lift, lift us all up. And I know that it's been challenging for people. And, you know, I have been lucky enough to have people reach out and help me at the times whenever I most needed that. And that's something that I like to give back to people. So whether or not you want to buy our products and services, if you would like to reach out to me, feel free. (laughs) Well, I appreciate it, Amy. And the world definitely needs more people like you that are willing just to help people um, without an expense. So I appreciate that. And for you... Uh, just so you know, you. your shoe size for red shoes was a pain in the ass. Oh gosh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so I have big feet for apparently, a girl. <laughs> apparently, they don't make many red shoes. So, but we did get oh, you yay. some red Chuck Taylors, which is also Thank you. Uh, Nike owns them. So, <laughs> so here you go. Thank uh, you. Just please, please keep in mind that uh, you know, anytime you have a hard day, uh, you've already said that you know basically what red means. Uh, we ask that you wear those red shoes and stay motivated in everything that you do, which is amazing stuff. So we appreciate we, we appreciate having you on the show. Well, thank you. And I learned I'm not going to crease them because I <laughs> learned that that's that's a thing today. That's a thing. That's a thing today. <laughs> well, thank you, Amy, for joining us. And today, because it's a special day that we had an opportunity to do for a young man um, that had a, a horrific uh, situation that's been going on for two years. Uh, we're going to have him on the show as well to bring awareness uh, to him being bullied and see how he's doing from this point on and moving forward and, and give him some words of encouragement. And I would like to welcome Samarian Humphrey. Samarian, how you doing? I'm doing good. Yeah. You know, yeah. I like the red shoes, man. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, those are from uh, superior optimization. They thought they would look a lot better on you than on me. So they bought them for you. Thank you. So, so how are you doing now? Um, obviously, you had uh, some things that were happening at school, outside of school, um, but you seem to be uh, moving forward. And how are you doing that? Uh, I'm just focusing on myself right now. I'm focusing on what I what I'm what I'm doing, what I love, which is boxing and school. Uh, you know, just trying to get caught up, just trying to have fun, like just trying to be a kid. Yeah, you still maintaining that positive attitude? Yeah, I'm trying. Yeah. Oh, well, that's good. That's good. Um, words of advice, man, I'm going to tell you, there's there's three things in this life that you truly own, and that's your motivation, your passion, and your education, and nobody can take those away from you. So as long as you remember that and you keep those three things in your heart and you keep loving your heart and not hate, I promise you can conquer all. So never forget that, okay? Yes, sir. 
Is there anything else you want to add before we let you go? I mean, I just I just love all the support, you know? Mm-hmm. Everything that people have been trying to do for me, just trying to get in contact with me, just just trying to show all the love that they can and do all that they can just really means a lot to me. Well, man, we're proud of you, and we're, we're 100% behind you. We got your back, okay? Yeah. All right, dude, we grow together. Hello, friends, and thank you for listening to the show. Don't forget to check out our website, thehustleoriginal.com, for the latest news, merchandise, and podcasts. Also, don't forget to check out my Instagram page at Willing to Thrive. That's Willing, the number two, Thrive for our next giveaway.